Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The World in 10, your daily updates on the biggest stories from around the world, as seen through the eyes of the Times of London. I'm Rebecca Myers. And I'm Laura Cook. Today, we take a look at life in Chernobyl through the eyes of a 90-year-old woman who's lived through nuclear catastrophe and now war. Also, are the latest polls getting to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? First, an extraordinary story of human courage and resilience. The story of a 90-year-old woman living in a wooden cottage deep in the forest surrounding the Chernobyl nuclear reactor. And Sunday Times correspondent Louise Callahan has been to the area with a tour guide and she's been to meet an extraordinary character. So we travelled all around the area. It's this, it's a thousand kilometre square area and it's completely empty uh, and before uh, before the Russian occupation last year Chernobyl used to be a really really busy place it was full of tourists so Oksana took us around showed us all the things you might have seen pictures of before like the the abandoned ferris wheel the mouldering dodgem cars and then she said I want to take you to visit someone that I call granny and this was Baba Hanya and uh, we went into this fairy tale forest of silver birches and and fir trees and it's it's so beautiful that's what i hadn't realized about the exclusion zone was that the incredible beauty of the nature there but some of the fruit which hangs from the trees and the berries which grow in the ground are, are poisoned you know they have radioactive isotopes inside them so that terrifying landscape you just can't fail to have an impact when you read this that's just one part of this article and then the soldiers digging the trenches into the earth and the horrors of war entering that area too you know it's happened but you also find it very hard to imagine as you're reading the article absolutely and and louise has been to a number of incredible extraordinary places but I think this character in particular, Baba Hanya, was just such an extraordinary person for her to meet. And she told us a bit about the welcome that Baba Hanya gave to the group when they arrived. We, we walked through the door and she's this, this tiny lady, but she was so happy to see us. Her eyes were tearing up. Uh, she kept hugging us and saying, oh, I thought you wouldn't come. I thought you wouldn't come. Baba Hanya, she's lived through the Second World War the nuclear disaster, she's lived through Russian occupation last year. She'd got so used to tour groups coming and people visiting her 
that I think when that ended, she's just, you know, she's just been really alone. And she cooked us so much food. It was more food than we could ever have possibly eaten. Um, but she wouldn't talk to us. So I said, well, Babanya, will, will you do an interview with me? And she said, only if you drink. So <laughs> she made this wine from strawberries. I don't know how much radiation it contained. I didn't really think about it. Um, and so when I asked Babahanya whether, you know, was she, was she worried about the Russians coming back? She just said, you know, what will be, will be. In a very strange way, then, Chernobyl is like an island of calm among this nation, which is at war. You know, you know, you know that everything around you is possibly poisoned and that you shouldn't kick the moss that's on the ground because it could throw up radioactive dust. But at the same time, there is a there is a calmness there. It's a, it's, it's a place where the worst has happened, where human populations have abandoned the, the area largely, apart from these few people like Babahanya. But nature has grown back. Life has continued. A very poignant point to end on there and it is an extraordinary story it's one of the most beautiful pieces of writing i've read in a long time so i'd really urge people to go on the website and read that now to the world of politics and we catch up with the latest leg of florida governor ron DeSantis's four country trade mission He's been here in the UK the past two days and it's interesting to see on this tour how he's been coping with questions surrounding his presidential aspirations. Yes, and it's important to remember that he hasn't actually officially announced that he'll run for 2024 and the Republican nomination, but that hasn't stopped reporters asking him to comment on the latest polls. Our Washington reporter Hugh Tomlinson writes in the Sunday Times how the governor's presidential hopes are at risk of imploding before he even declares he's running. Let's remind ourselves of what happened, or if you missed it, earlier this week in Japan. I'm not, I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if, uh, if and when that changes. The Florida governor there speaking on Monday, and it's worth watching the video too to fully understand why that clip has been turned into a meme that spawned the hashtag bobblehead Ron. Indeed. And he writes how for even five months ago, everything looked very different for Ron DeSantis. He'd been re-elected in a landslide to a second term as governor. At the same time, the party had suffered a string of defeats widely blamed on Donald Trump. In December, he led Trump by 14 points in a Wall Street Journal poll. Last week, the same poll showed him trailing the former president by 13 points. So what went wrong for Ron DeSantis and can he fix it? He might be trying to attract the wrong kind of support. Hugh spoke to one expert on focus groups who said he's often playing to Trump supporters who are only ever going to support Trump. And his more extreme policies, especially on abortion, might be off-putting for some donors who are looking for a candidate to be more unifying. And he might even have to rein in the bobblehead, as those kind of viral moments are not great for his profile but definitely one to watch. We move now to sport and the world of football and multi-billion dollar bids for English Premier League club Manchester United. The deadline for bids passed last night. Now, this is a story that's moving incredibly quickly and we've even had live developments as we've been preparing to record this podcast. So we called on our chief sports reporter, Matt Lawton, to fill us in. It's been a fascinating 24 hours in this battle to buy Manchester United. The intelligence that we received late on Friday evening was that Sheikh Jassim had bid 
in excess of £5 billion. However, overnight, there has been some scepticism expressed around that from people close to this process. Um, and we believe now that actually the INEOS group, the group led by Sir Jim Ratcliffe, one of Britain's richest men, their valuation is higher, uh, even though they are uh, bidding only to buy potentially 69%, which is the, the stake that the Glazer family have in the club. They may uh, also um, be prepared to, to actually acquire less and, and allow two of the Glazer siblings, Avram and Joel, to retain a, a stake. Um, but the fact of the matter is they are, you know, uh, pound for pound, share for share, are offering more. And that feels quite significant at this stage of the process. Yes, it's certainly far from clear what the current owners are going to do and who they are going to decide to sell to. Matt had some more information on that. It's now a case of uh, the Rain Group presenting these different options to the Glazers. And over the next week, 10 days, we imagine that, um, that we will get some indication of who the preferred bidder is. But yeah, right now it feels like another fascinating twist in this bid to, to acquire one of the biggest sporting franchises in the world. Here in the UK, we're all gearing up for a week of pomp and ceremony for King Charles III's coronation. And around the world, people will be watching too. But there might, just might, be a slight fly in the ointment. That's right. There's an ancient stone, the Stone of Schoon. It's been part of every English coronation since it was seized by Edward I in 1296. Legend has it that Scotland's Stone of Destiny is actually Jacob's pillow where he laid his head and dreamt of a ladder to God. Several other theories do also exist. Writing in today's Times, the history correspondent Jack Blackburn has been telling us how the stone has made itself in time for next week but there are concerns around its authenticity, with some people thinking it doesn't look like the right one. And there is a legend that when Edward I came to claim the stone, the monks, um, thinking quickly on their feet, fobbed him off with a fake. And that the original was deposited either in the River Tay or was buried in Dunsinane. Fascinating stuff from Jack there, and let's hope they solve that one before Saturday. That's all for today, but first, a sneak peek at tomorrow's episode for you and a collection that's going under the hammer which could beat the record for the most valuable jewellery auction in history. Number one item that everybody's talking about is uh, a diamond necklace, an Indian diamond necklace called the Briolette of India. It's uh, made of Indian diamonds, I should point out. Uh, it was made by Cartier and then bought by Harry Winston, the jeweller. It was made by Cartier in 1909 and she acquired it a few years ago. Charles Bremner there previewing the auction of Austrian art collector and billionaire Heidi Horton, who died last June. Thank you for joining us today. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed this journalism you heard on the podcast, you can take out a digital subscription to The Times of London. Music.